Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast with Matthew Sardo. Take your sticky paws off me, you damn dirty ass. <laughs> Holy sh! They're actually monkeys fighting robots! You can follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. <laughs> And on Instagram at Monkeys Fighting Robots. Make sure to download and review our podcast from iTunes and Stitcher. And now, here's your host, Matt. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Monkeys Fighting Robots. Oh, we're going to go sci fi crazy today. I got a good friend coming on the show. I was there when he released his first. And now he's worked on Hoax Hunters, Army of Darkness. His new book from Boom is Burning Fields, Curse, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Hack Slash, My Little Phony, A Brony Adventure. I want to talk about that. Robocop, Roche Limit. That's what we're here to talk about today. Roche Limit Volume 1 is out in a trade. Go get it. It's an amazing sci-fi tale. Reminds me of Total Recall. But on Wednesday, if you're going to go to a comic store, you need to go get Roche Limit Clan Destiny. It's more of an alien's feel. And we're going to talk with Mike. And we're going to talk about what goes into this book. Let's bring him on. Like, well, why am I talking about Mike? I should just like call Mike and he should come up and we should talk on the phone. And he's here. So, Mike Marisi, welcome to Monkeys Fighting Robots. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Can you tell us about your new book, Roche Limit, Clandestiny? I can, yeah. So, it is a continuation of uh, the first volume of the series, which was called Roche Limit Anomalous. Uh, the trade just came out of that. Trade paperback came out last month. And this one, Clandestiny, is set 75 years after the events of Roche Limit Anomalous. Uh, and it has a whole new crew, you know, whole new you know cast of characters, but at the same location on the planet, the spatter that um, Roche Limit, the first volume, took place in. Basically, centered on a science and military team that comes to the planet, like I said, 75 years later, on um, what they think their mission is is not what their mission ends up being, and they unravel uh, the mysteries and the strange things happening on the planet. You know, it relates back to the first volume, but in a very kind of uh, strange, <laughs> strange and kind of cool way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's cool. It's kind of like, if the first line was like Blade Runner, I think this is more like Aliens, you could say. You're ruining my interview questions by stating this stuff ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Can you explain the change in the creative team for this book? Yeah, you know, ours, Kyle, uh, Kyle Charles and Matt Patanaglia are just perfectly suited for the book. I mean, it's a different kind of book. So I think that they, um, you know, we needed that kind of change in music. Vic and Jordan were both wonderful they're great on the first volume and um now that kyle's here and kyle's bringing a very very distinct uh voice and a distinct style to, to the universe i think that i think is perfectly fitted for this volume and and, and matt uh, his colors are just making good like this dreamlike 
this whole dreamlike quality this, that, that is absolutely perfect for the book, which is fitting exactly for what's going on. So you know, it's the right people on the book uh, for this time, and, and they're doing a great job. I couldn't be, I couldn't be more proud of uh, both of them. They're, they're, just, they're just so wonderful to work with. In my review, I mentioned the drastic difference in colors. Was this a conscious decision for the second arc? That's something that you know Kyle and I, Kyle and I started working on this earlier, and one of the things we talked about was like that dreamlike quality and finding somebody who you know could deliver that and could take really you know interesting risks with color with their palette. And we saw actually it was Jordan Boyd, the, the original colorist in Grossman, who, who um, one of the people we recommended was was Matt. And uh, we saw his work on Dead Letters, the the boom book, the really great boom book. You know, we we spy what he was doing there, and these really kind of vibrant purples and blues and oranges. He just takes really, really just inter- makes interesting choices uh, with his palette, and we just loved it. And we knew that he could, you know, with giving a little bit of directive that he could, uh, or sorry, direction that he could deliver that for Rochelle and deliver what we wanted. And he knew what we were trying to do. You know, he he came in and just nailed it, and he's been just killing it since. The first book had a total recall feel to me I, I you people say blade runner and uh, i agree with that too but for me total recall is my my blade runner not a very good one but still good uh this book has an aliens feel how do you balance pulling from pop culture and being original at the same time well you know it's that old thing i think it was like king solomon there's nothing new under the sun and uh I believe that I don't. You know, I think in some ways, like technology, there's there's definitely a lot of uh, innovation. But to some degree, I mean, we've kind of seen and done it all. So when I look at the things that I do, you know, it's kind of hard not to see the tapestry of what's influencing and what's influencing me and inspiring me. You know, I mean, like for for Roche Limit, you know, the Dark City is all over it, and Gattaca is all over it, Blade Runner and Prometheus and Alien and Aliens and, and Total Recall, uh, you know, and other Philip K. Dick stuff and Kurt Vonnegut and these things are so kind of ingrained in my consciousness. It's like you know, were living in the you know age of like Simpsons and Family Guy and stuff like that, where everything is self-referential to other things. And I don't think that's an accident. I think it's because we're so kind of hyper, you know, hyper absorbed to to pop culture. And that's not a bad thing, you know. Where you know Thoreau went and walked down to a pond and you know talked about all the existential things that he saw and experienced. You know, we go to movies and we read books and read comics and stuff like that, and that's our experience. You know, that's our Walden Pond or whatever. So I think it's just something that comes with that. I mean, I, I think obviously you don't want to steal. <laughs> um, <laughs> you want to be careful about how you, you know, appropriate things. But I think that like, it's, it's undeniable that you'll, that you'll run into situations where we're just that your storytelling and your influences will kind of come out of you because that's, that's the world that you inhabit. And I think that's fine. I think that's, that, that's really cool. You harness it in the right way. And I think you create something really cool. That's like aware of the world around you. The first book has a strong female lead. It appears the second arc does as well. Can you talk about that? It's funny. You know, that's such a kind of uh, a zeitgeist of the moment, you know, with feminism in comics, and I think it's great. I really do. Um, but I never really let my, uh, you know, politics or, you know, cultural vanguard to really influence my My work is my work, and that's my art. I never make those kind of decisions just because, everyone's into strong female leads right now. You know, not to say that's what the question is, but, like, I feel like that's something that I'm very careful about because I don't want to seem like I'm being... There's some sort of, like, cynical attitude, I guess, to that where you're saying, like, okay, everyone wants female, strong female leads. Let's, let's just throw in some strong female leads. And I, I'm not really into I'm into making art. You know, I think art has, you know, a purpose that kind of transcends the culture of the moment because art transcends time. But 
it just so happened that in these stories, you know, that there are strong female leads and there's a, you know, African-American lead and there's a, you know, white male lead. And it just depends on what the story needs and what characters are going to drive the story and the themes and the purpose forward. And I think that those, those characters ended up being what were most interesting to me and what were more, most appropriate to me. And that's why I make those decisions. And it's cool. I'm glad to have. You know, I wrote, you know, Curse that had an African-American lead. I, I wrote, you know, I'm writing right now Burning Fields, which has a female lead and, and an Iraqi male lead, which, you know, you don't see ever. Um, and, I, you know, I just make choices based on the story. You know, I'm not trying to, like, get any cultural points or anything like that. I'm just trying to make the best decisions for the story. And um, I, I think that's where we should, what we should all be doing as writers and artists is make, do, you know, servicing our art. You know, all the rest of that stuff comes later. Just service your art and do the most thing, do the best things and represent represent what your art needs you to represent. In an interview with Nerdish, you mentioned a time when you were ready to quit comics. Can you describe that struggle, the creator struggle? <laughs> Every day. <laughs> Every day of my life. <laughs> I think I was just expecting things. You know, part of it is my fault. Part of it is definitely my fault. I think I was expecting things to happen too much, too fast. You know, my I had unrealistic expectations of myself and that's because of me you know i always put a lot of pressure on myself to really do good and really deliver and be just be the best artist that i can and with that pressure comes certain expectations i think like okay if i do these things then i'll get more opportunities and people notice that and, and i have had that and i've been very lucky but i think there was a time where i just was kind of gotten into my own head and i just had bottomed out you know i just wasn't getting to where i wanted and i wasn't necessarily doing the work that I wanted to do. And it was a combination of these things that just really made me unhappy about what I was doing and how I was doing it. And when you're, you're unhappy with something, you know, if I'm happy doing comics and it's ruining comics for me, then I was thought the best thing to do was, you know, to walk away, you know, cause I don't want to be miserable with comics. I love comics, you know? Um, but you know, I, it turns out I got some good opportunities. You know, boom gave me a great chance with uh, writing curse. Um, and then Tim Seeley gave me a great chance, opportunity of writing Hack Slash, which I had a blast doing. And then Roche Lemon came along, and you know things kind of kind of moving. But there's always a struggle. I think there's always a struggle because you're putting yourself out there, you know, every single day, and um, it's really difficult. You know, I mean, it's it, it's you're, you're constantly struggling with with money. I mean, there's not a ton of money in comics. There is good money. You know, you can make a living, but you struggle with money. It's still an entertainment field, and you struggle with criticism and, and perception and, uh, you know, being a public but personal figure at the same time. And there's a lot of things that, that kind of come with doing the job and a lot of great things as well. A lot of great things, mainly great things. I mean, I think it's always kind of, uh, unless you're really like, you know, Fraction or Bendis or something like that, you know, where you don't have that, that sort of anxiety, uh, which they had at a point in their career too, you know, so I shouldn't discount that. But yeah, and there's always a struggle when you're trying to create when you're trying to create art, you know. And that's that's um, I think it's a good thing to have. Though. I think it's a good thing to have that struggle. I think it's a good thing to like fight for what you want and really go have to go after it and not just be handed something, you know. And that 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 happens. You know, it happens where people get extremely lucky. Uh, and there's nothing. There's no reason to begrudge them. But most people have to really, really strive to achieve what they want. And I think that's that's definitely a good thing. Do you have the pressure under control now, and are you putting it in a positive place, writing more? I, I am. You know, I think I'm, really, I'm much, you know, I'm much happier with with what I'm doing and how I'm doing it, and I'm I'm way more comfortable with you know my my role as an artist and my role in the comics industry than I've than I've been you know probably ever. 
that isn't to say that like I still have things I want to achieve. There's a lot I still want to do. There's a ton, a ton of things I still want to do, and I still kind of like lacerate myself every day. Or I'm like, ugh, haven't read anything from Marvel yet. I haven't done this or I haven't done that. But things take time, and may they happen or may they don't. But I, you get too caught up in looking at those things, and you miss the picture of like, you know, I really am lucky and fortunate, and I have people who support my work and publishers who support my work and editors, and, and I'm grateful for all that. And, and just feel, you know, have to remind myself to, to feel, you know, as, as fortunate, you recognize as fortunate and as lucky as I am. And, you know, I think I do that more and I'm much more happy and I'm doing the things I want to do, the types of books that I want to do. You know, Roche, I love Rochelle and Burning Fields. And, you know, this book, Transference, coming with Black Mask um, in June. And I have a new image book coming next year. And I'm just really, really happy about these projects. I'm just glad to go down the path that they're taking me. This could be, I, I feel like we should be in a bar drinking during this conversation, but I'm going <laughs> to... I wish we were, man. <laughs> this could be the best time in the comic book industry with its popularity, but the comic book internet trolls seem to be angrier than normal. Have you noticed that? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm afraid every time I turn on Twitter, <laughs> I'm like, terrified. Do you look at the Josh Whedon situation and how quickly the internet turned on him and worry just a bit? Yeah, I'm glad you asked, because I've been thinking about this a lot, especially with Josh Whedon, that the internet can turn on Josh Whedon, who's been like their god for like a decade, <laughs> for like one perceived, and what it basically comes down to one scene between Black Widow and Hulk that people are like, uh-uh, and like, they're like, they just destroyed him, just destroyed him. Like, this guy's been like, the, like, like I said, like the god for a decade, more than a decade. It's terrifying, man. It's terrifying that, like, friends and I talk about this all the time. Like, what if I say something? What if I say the wrong thing? And somebody overheard, overhears me at a bar, and they tweet, like, oh, Michael Morisi just said this. He hates, you know, he hates gay people. He hates black people. It's like, no, like, it's, you just never know. Like, you're just kind of afraid all the time. You know, granted, I don't think I've ever said anything that could be perceived that way, but you never know. You never know what can be misheard or misunderstood or whatever. And before you know it, you're just ruined. Like, and not only that, not only the personal stakes, but I think the artistic stake, stakes are being, you know, just really horrifically compromised. Because I already know people who have said that they're very, they're tempering their work. They're afraid. They're afraid of, like, publishing certain things or saying certain things in their art. And I think Pat Oswalt put it perfectly, you know, that there is such a thing as Tea Party liberalism. And I think you're seeing it where there's this extreme, extremism in ideology where they've gone so far to the left that, like, the, the end product is, is, you know, suppression and censorship. And that's not liberalism. You know, when you start censoring people and, like, just attacking all the time, that is censorship, and that's something totally different from being liberal and, and championing equality. And these are very dangerous things to get mixed up in. Recently there was the Frank Cho crisis. Do you look at how women are drawn in your comic books, and do you have open conversations with your creative team about these type of situations? I've never really... I've never really run into the into the issue because, like, all my comics have never really featured um, women like that. Um, you know, this this kind of superhero, God knows what the proportions of the body, you know, end up being. I've never really had that, and I think that if if I did, I would definitely have that conversation because I wouldn't want that for a female. I wouldn't want that for a male. I wouldn't want I wouldn't want any caricature. You know, I think my my books are. You know, even though they're sci-fi or horror, I think they're very reality-based, and those things are just not not based in any reality that I know of. So, yeah, I mean, that's something I, I would definitely openly 
discuss and be be okay with discussing because I think there's some certain things that I do want to see in my comics and certain things I don't want to see about my comics. I'm very protective of that. And um, yeah, I mean, I understand what Frank Cho was doing, and I and I think it was kind of kind of funny and brilliant in a way. <laughs> but not not everyone agrees. <laughs> um, but I think the point he was making though is the point what I was saying is that this extremism that we see that like we've lost all sense of. Uh, or some people have lost all sense of, of perspective. And, um, you know, that Frank is making a nice job of, of pointing that out in a very tongue-in-cheek way that I think a lot of people really misunderstood. And my biggest issue with this is, you know, Josh Whedon got booed off of Twitter and then the Frank Show incident where there's, like, books like Grim Fairy Tales and directors like Michael Bay who are openly the opposite direction, yet nothing seems to bother those guys. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's funny that, like, you know, what this this group or who, whatever you want to call movement, what they rear their head at, you know, what they really go after. I, I don't understand either, you know, because, yeah, Grim Fairy Tales. Then again, Grim Fairy Tales is like, yo, this is what we are. <laughs> like, they're making no bones about it. But, you know, the ironic thing is, most of Grim Fairy Tales readers are female. You know, the same thing with Hack Slash. Like, Tim told me great stories, and I've experienced stories myself as a writer. The people who attack me and Tim most are guys. They're the ones who are most like, you can't do this, you know, you can't take women, blah, 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 blah. But Hack Slash has a huge female readership. So I think it's also like this, like, white male complex that you see that, like, that at all times white males have to be calling the shots. And now it's like they have to be calling for the shots for what feminism is, which is like the most ridiculous thing you could possibly imagine. And I think that that's a big part of this still that's making it even kind of even more kind of puzzling of a situation. You know, getting back to the point, you know, I think that, like, there's just a lot to be said about what exactly they're attacking and why. And like I said with Josh Whedon, I mean, I think that scene is even arguable what the point of that scene is and what Black Widow is saying. And it's just a, it's just a strange situation that, that, yeah, like stuff like Grim Fairy Tales are like, yeah, we don't care, you know, but stuff like, you know, you know, Asia Ultron, they're going to go after and attack Josh Whedon and say Josh Whedon is a misogynist, which is like, if you know anything about him, that's, that's, that's insane. You know, not to, and, and they call him racist too. I'm like, where, where's that coming from? I don't even, I didn't, it's just, it's just kind of, at, at certain points, like, you guys, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, stop. I saw Avengers a couple times already, uh, Age of Ultron, and I, I started to come up with my own theory that, like, well, one, Scarlet Witch, she's the most powerful female character in the whole entire Marvel universe to begin with. So we introduced one really strong, powerful, but then she was manipulating everyone. So every person that was touched by her was her interpretation of what they needed to see. So that Scarlet, so the, the black widow thing could be, this is what Scarlet, Witch is pining for. I really enjoyed the film. And I like the fact that it was a little darker and brought out their, grittier side i mean it's they're not it's all not sunshines and roses all the time i mean yeah i loved it i thought the movie was great i, I and i didn't walk away thinking anything of of you know the things that are being pointed out you know didn't even cross my mind and if it was a legitimate concern if i saw that i'd be like yeah yeah i guess you're right you know when when the stuff with jeremy renner and, and chris evans had an interview it's like yeah guys i really should say those kind of things even in joke so i, I can't recognize i do have, I have the capacity to recognize when there's a line being crossed, but I didn't. I didn't see it in H. Ultron. And if there were a line being crossed, there's certainly more healthy ways to address those problems rather than attacking, a, you know, a person and calling them. I mean, you know, when you call someone a woman hater, you call someone a racist. You know, that is some. That is a serious. That is a serious thing to say about somebody. 
But you were saying to somebody, you hate women. That's a big deal. Like, that's a big deal. If you call someone out, you call somebody that. You don't just throw that stuff around. You know, you don't just say, you know, you hate black people. Like, that is, that is a really, you better be sure. You better be sure about what you are saying. Because that is a very, very, very just loaded and difficult and terrible thing that you are calling somebody. And I just feel like that's like the, you know, of course, that's the pain of the internet is that you can do that and it doesn't matter. You just throw these things around, but these are serious terms. These are really serious things that you're saying. And, uh, you know, it's a shame. It's a shame that that's how, what the response was. Once it's out there, it's out there. Even if nobody believes what is being said about Josh Whedon, the next time Josh Whedon's in a meeting, this backlash is going to come up. On a lighter note, Mike, what elements make up a good sci-fi story? I think it has, you know, and I thought about this a lot. I think it has something, it has to have something important to say that kind of reflects and mirrors our culture and says something about the human condition. You know, I think that's the best. That is what sci-fi is. When I see things like the J.J. Abrams diet Star Trek, people are like, wow, what great star sci-fi? It's like, no, that's just action in space. <laughs> that is not sci-fi, okay? It's cool. I dig it. I, I, like, I like both movies, but that is action in space. Sci-fi is like Gattaca. Blade Runner, it's 2001. It's things that have something to say about the human condition and are also in a, a speculative fiction package where you're talking about androids or you're talking about space or the future. You know, it's speculation. It's speculation about where we are, where we've been, and where we're going. You know, as people, as cultures, you know, in history, all these things that say that, that are meaningful to the human experience. That is what makes really good sci-fi. You know, just can't just be like, that's in space, so sci-fi, am I right? You know, like, no, <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Who is impressing you today with their creativity? That's a good question. You know, I think there's a lot of different places I get it from, you know, I mean, comics, you know, Tim Seeley, I think, is always a guy, you know, he's a friend of mine, obviously, but I think that, like, he just does really great work and does it in a very effortless way. Um, I think, uh, let's see, Who's really, really great? You know, I think Matt Kidd does really cool stuff. Um, you know, Alex Garland, who just did Ex Machina, which is great. You know, all his movies, you know, Sunshine, I thought was, was spectacular. Um, you know, Ridley Scott, I still think, is doing excellent work. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, I think there's so much stuff that, that I love. You know, who, you know, the Nick Pizzolatto, who did, you know, True Detective, is a guy who just, just wowed me. I can't wait for more True Detective. Gosh, you know, it's always that question, like, what are you reading and what do you like? And you're just like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> next, inter but, yeah. next interview, I'll email you that question way in advance. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> How can people find you on social media, and are you going to be out and about promoting Roche Limit Clandestiny? Yeah, yeah. You know, they can find us, Michael Morisi, uh, my, my Twitter handle. Um, nothing, nothing fancy. I'll be in Baltimore this weekend at Third Eye Comics doing a signing. Uh, I'll be in Omaha the last weekend in May. Uh, I'll be in Salt Lake in the last weekend in June at uh, Black Cat Comics. And I'll be in San Diego Comic Con in July. So I'll have a pretty full schedule ahead of me. Well, Mike, we're glad that things are starting to work out for you and you're getting some more books out there. I I, you know, Next time we'll have to talk about Burning Fields when it wraps up uh, because it's, that's in another amazing book. But, Mike, thank you so much for your time. Oh, well, thank you, man. It's always, it's always great talking to you, man. That was Mike Morisi. You can follow him on Twitter at Michael Morisi. And his new book, Roche Limit, Clandestiny, is in your local comic book store 
on May 6th, which is tomorrow. Hey, Matt, we survived another episode. Oh, no! Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robot. You can look at our silly photos on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on SoundCloud. Also, if you have a chance, rate our show on iTunes. If you have an Android device, listen to our show on Stitcher. There's also this great app called TuneIn. Listen to every radio station in the universe. Plus the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast. Okay, Lunchbox, let's try this again. There are so many people that made the ninth episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots a success. Special thanks to Mike Marisi for calling the Monkeys Fighting Robots hotline. Jeff Shade is the creator of our amazing intro and outro. Jessica Wynn designed the Monkeys Fighting Robots logo. Are you a monkey or are you a robot? The staff at Visual Realm keeps our website up and running. And then there is my wife who doesn't understand a word that comes out of my mouth once I start talking about the multiverse. To all my friends, family, and the interweb, thank you for joining us for this episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.